Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Exurga Deus disventur inimici eius, et fugianceo derendeum aface eius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let all those who hate him flee from before his face. So, I had a very brief conversation with a listener. She's one of my favorite listeners. And she asked for a, a mechanic's opinion on obedience. And given that I'm both a mechanic and I'm also ex-military, a warfighter, I have what I would describe as a very Roman approach to obedience. Not in, well, I don't know, 50-50 I'm not a historian, I'm a mechanic, so if I just quoted all that wrong and we get to the end of this and you're like, no, that's not really the way the Romans thought about obedience, I'm going to be like, well, cool, go ahead and message me, Caleb at RadioFreeCatholic.com, and explain it, because, like I said, not a historian. So I'm going to hit that, but I'm going to hit that topic after we dip in with Tucker Carlson. I originally wasn't actually going to do anything with this interview. Um, because I don't normally talk Pope Francis, but this kind of ties in with the obedience question. So we're going to talk about that. And Tucker Carlson's interview with the candidate who looks to be the probably going to be the next president of Argentina, Javier Milei. He did an interview, and there was a question he had um, about the church and Pope Francis. So we're going to talk about that, and then I'm going to get into the mechanic's perspective on obedience. So, yeah, two topics, one fun show. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Santa Michael Arcangele, defende nos in proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias diabolias opraesidium. Imperatili Deus supplicas de precamur, tuque princeps militae calestis, satanam aliosque spiritus malignos quiat perditionem animarum, perregantur in mundo divina virtute, in infernum netrude. Amen. Cor Jesus sacratissimum miserere nobis, mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Beatus Carolus domo Austriae, ora pro nobis. Saint Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Domine, ostende facem tuum et salvi erimus, Ave Maria Purissima, 
Imago Lato Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Oh, Mother of Sorrows, pray for us. Okay. So, <clears throat> Tucker did an interview, like I said in the pre-intro intro, with Javier Malay, who is candidate for president in Argentina's next election. Now, you can't hardly say Argentina without, particularly in Catholic circles, without looking toward the Argentinian Jesuit in the Vatican. Kind of a big deal. The Holy Father, Francis, in the Vatican. Argentinian, and this is a very salient thing, uh, because Javier Malay, in the moments before this recorded this clip that I'm going to play for you, in the moments before this clip, he very much comes out in defense of pro-life. Now he uses the libertarian argument um, about the principle of non-aggression. Now, dear family, I used to be a libertarian. I can tell you, it's not going to get you out of here. Uh, Javier Malay, as I was watching this interview. And it was a very good, in-depth interview. Um, there are things that he's very good at, and there are things that he's not so good at. Um, what disappointed me at the end of the interview was his naivete. It's, if you get an opportunity, head on over to X, go over to Tucker Carlson's feed, and you'll see episode 24 of Tucker, of Tucker on X... And you'll see the interview and listen to the interview. He's a like the guy's a pretty sharp, fairly sharp guy. Except for some of the questions that Tucker was asking, he was very clearly out of his element. And he's very much naive. And it shows. Now you can also kind of tell, from what I understand, he's very much um, much more outspoken, and he was kind of dialing it back. And there is a distinctive possibility. A slight possibility that he was being less he was displaying less astuteness than what he is however I did catch another clip of him on another show where he was much more inclined to speak more freely and I mean dude's a libertarian and he's a naive libertarian at that is what it is um, the sad thing is is that he identifies as a Catholic of course but you can't be a libertarian and Catholic at the same time. Uh, libertarianism allows you allows you to permit sin in your life, and sin makes you stupid in ways that most people don't even understand. And, and if you're a traditional Catholic, you watch the episode and you'll be like, oh, hey, he seems like a nice guy. He seems like he's got most of his head on straight. And then you get to like the last 10 minutes, and I mean, gracious. <laughs> <clears throat> My only response was, oh, how cute. That was literally, that was very much my response. I looked and I was like, oh, how cute. He actually thinks that's going to work. It's not. Hasn't thus far. Anyway, let's get to the interview. Enough of me blabbing. I've already been yakking for about six minutes. So here we go. So I would think you're a Catholic. You said you're just defending really the Catholic life principle. The Pope, the current Pope, is from Argentina. I would think he would support you. He has instead criticized you, and you've called him a communist. 
why the disconnect? Well, first because the Pope plays politics. He has a strong political influence. And he has shown a great affinity for dictators such as Castro and Maduro. He's on the side of these bloody dictatorships. Yes, and Fidel Castro was also a murderer. Do you believe the Pope has an affinity for Raul Castro? Yes, exactly. He has an affinity for murderist communists. In fact, he won't denounce them. He's quite lenient to them. He's also lenient towards the Venezuelan dictatorship. He's lenient toward the entire left, even when they are true criminals. And that's a problem. But he also takes social justice as a central element of his vision. And that's difficult because what is social justice truly? It's stealing the fruits of one person's labor and giving it to someone else. So it means two things. First, it's stealing. The problem with that is that is one of the Ten Commandments, is thou shalt not steal. To support social justice is to support stealing. So one problem is that it violates the Ten Commandments. The other problem is that it creates unequal treatment under the law, and I don't think it's fair. For some people to be rewarded while others are punished, all through the power of the state that wields a monopoly on violence. So when you look around, it's fascinating to look around the city, Buenos Aires, and the architecture. Okay. <clears throat> I was about to let that go for longer and I completely forgot that they get completely off of um, <clears throat> Pope Francis. They go to architecture and he does eventually touch back on Pope Francis again. But <clears throat> for those of you who are not tracking, Pope Francis is actually given an interview in which he says quite explicitly that he believes that communism is the Catholic social teaching. He believes, or correction, he looks at the Gospels through a communist lens. And so when he sees our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he sees a communist. He sees someone who teaches about communist principles. Now, I really, when I say he's given an interview, I'm not talking to like Eugenio Scalfari, although he has said many crazy and outlandish things uh, to Scalfari, the atheist, who he just loves to chit chat with all the time and always jokes about how, oh, I'm not going to convert you. Oh, it's the Holy Father. I'm not allowed to, I really ought not start slinging vituperations at the Holy Father. <clears throat> so we'll pull back from that for just a moment. Now, there's a problem with liber with liberalism altogether, because the whole point behind liberalism was to break away from the church. 
you know, Martin Luther breaks away from, from the Roman Catholic Church and does his whole Protestant thing, and then Protestantism spreads like wildfire, and then King Henry VIII, being the jackalope degenerate sexual fiend that he is, does the same, and it so and so on, so forth. And they and all of the people down the line, all the way throughout history, they get worse and worse and worse, and they come up with ways that are better and better that do not include with returning to the one holy catholic and apostolic church they do not include returning to our lord and savior jesus christ they do not include embracing our lord's cross at calvary and going to calvary ourselves they none of the, you cannot include any of that it's kind of the whole point of liberalism and enlightenment philosophy is they wanted to get away from the suffering well you can't be catholic if you're trying to run away from suffering you just can't Okay. If you look at the early church, it, it was kind of cool because the early church, you look at the symbolism of the old early church, and Christians in certain communities were identified not by wearing a cross, but by wearing an anchor. Now, <clears throat> I haven't studied the, the history and, and in depth, all, all too much in depth as to what they're specific, they specifically mean with the anchor, but I do know what the, and maybe I, I probably should, I probably will after I'm done recording this episode, if I'm being honest. But when I look at the anchor, and you use, and, and early Christians using the anchor as the symbol, like in many cases, um, in, you know, a couple hundred years later when they actually started depicting the crucifix, you would still see, in fact, actually my mother gave me a crucifix a long, long time ago, long, long time ago. It was a crucifix that had our Lord, the, our Lord's corpus on it, but the cross was an anchor. And I've known that the anchor has long has long been an a symbol uh, for Christian, you know, used by Christians to identify themselves. If you drop anchor, if you cut the rope that ties your ship to the anchor, you drift especially if you're not traveling under any kind of power. You know, you anchor you anchor a boat, and if the boat loses the anchor, and there's no power on the boat, and, and nobody fires up the engine to actually guide it back to wherever it's got to go, or, as was tip, more typically the case in the, time, in the times that, obviously, they didn't have end diesel and big, giant diesel engines and such um, in, during the time of Christ... But if you don't have any sails and you use an oars or something like that, you drop anchor, you know, if you let go of the anchor, you'll go adrift. And you can be lost. You can be lost at sea. <clears throat> if you let go of the anchor that is Christ's cross, you will go adrift. It is that simple. Allow me to use another... Um, analogy or another comparison another metaphor Christ's cross was on Golgotha the hill of skulls the cross is on the hill you hold tight to the cross because the cross isn't going anywhere you get close you get as close as you can embrace our Lord and his cross and you're not going anywhere you will stay on top of the hill if you let go of the cross you will eventually slide down that slippery slope into Gehenna. 
So you can either hold on to the cross or slide down into Gehenna. Those are your two options. Hold fast to the anchor or go adrift. Hold on to the cross or slide down into Gehenna. I'd, and I'm going to be blunt. I don't actually care about the geography as to the location of Gehenna as compared to Golgotha. It actually doesn't matter. The fact is you either stay on hop, top of the hill or you slide down the hill into the pit of despair. So you cannot, I mean, you can climb the hill, but if you climb the hill and you're just trying to get up the hill out of that, out of that valley of death, trash, poop, and fire, and you're just trying to get just high enough, well, you're going to get up there and you're going to, and you're going to probably sit down and you're going to slide down the hill and you're going to end up back in that pit. And if you lose the anchor, and you're not actually moving out, going out of your way to try and retrieve the anchor itself. Admittedly, in the it's it's a, this is a little bit more difficult with the navy version of this talking about the anchor, um, because if you lose because like if you cut the rope and you cut the anchor, you're probably never getting that anchor back. Not ever. But if you were say um, trolling. The, the, uh, the bottom the, the, the bottom surface of, of the sea trying to regain the anchor and you're just trying to okay well we're just trying to get close to the anchor and then we'll let go um, if you're not holding on to the anchor you're going to go adrift period full stop now what does this mean now, Karl Marx knew that liberalism was the path to socialism and communism. Okay? He knew this. He wrote about it in Das Kapital. The Freemasons knew this. Like, they know this. You Like, the further, like, as they wanted to break away from the church, they're willing to come up with all of these ideas. They eventually want to sit upon the throne of God. Okay? Now, what makes you say this? It's, this is actually kind of fundamental. When you break away from the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, you decide you're going to go your own way. You have just, in that moment, decided that you are going to be like God. And that you're going to go ahead and take responsibility for, for the omniscience that's required to understand your path forward. How you're supposed to build your society, your family, whatever. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to take responsibility for the omnipresence that you need to be in order to keep all of those things in line. You're going to take, and you're going to try and gain hold of the omnipotence and use that power, the little bit of power that you can get, to try and put everything into the order that you think everything is supposed to be. Okay? Those all belong to God. Those are all His features. It is a feature of God. God is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. So when you try to break away from what it is that he has revealed to your finite self so that you can do it on your own, you have declared in his face that you are going to be like him and you can do it yourself without him and therefore you now become God. That's what liberalism is. 
because liberalism will follow anything liberals will follow anything so long as it is not the one true faith they will follow anything so long as it is not found within the walls of the one holy catholic and apostolic church they will follow all of the protestantism until they get tired of protestantism and realize that even the even the accoutrements of christianity are just entirely too much to deal with and they will follow anything but christ that's just how it is and you can see it coming out of the mouths of the of prelates like Antonio Spadaro I don't even know if he's a prelate I don't even actually care but you see it out of coming out of the mouths of the like of Antonio Spadaro SJ or James Martin SJ or Jorge Mario Bergoglio SJ You see it coming out of the mouths of the cardinals and the curia, Cardinal Roach and all these other yahoos are putting these yahoos are putting together the synod on synodality. In all honesty, if if I'd have known I was actually going to dive into this part of the topic, I'd actually have a list of their names so that I could name them accurately. So I apologize for being all disordered on this one, or, or being all disorganized on this. <clears throat> You can hear it coming out of the mouths of anybody who's trying to modernize or bring the church up with the times or try to engage in a listening, accompanying church. They want to do anything except that which Christ said we must do in order to get our salvation. They want to do anything except what Christ told the apostles and the apostles told their successors and their successors taught us throughout the generations as long as we don't have to do that we're perfectly good we'll go ahead and be catholics as long as we don't actually have to do catholic things because that's what's coming out of the church today out of many of the people who who presume themselves to be leaders but i will tell you right now Thank you, Cardinal... I think it was Cardinal Burke? No, not Cardinal Burke. It was Cardinal Mueller. Cardinal Mueller, who simply said that any of the any of these prelates, any of these bishops, these priests, who preach this other gospel that is separate, that does not require you to hold and obey and live the one holy Catholic and apostolic church's faith, the deposit, live the deposit of faith to the fullest... They immediately lose their office and you don't no longer have to obey them. Hey, we're at that part of obedience. I guess we're already here. Let's go ahead and talk about obedience. I didn't need Cardinal Mueller to say that. Alright. I was a soldier for a very long time. I was a war fighter. In my hands was the power of death. Bullets, bombs, rockets, mayhem and destruction. That was my profession for a very long time. And when I was being trained in my profession, they made it abundantly clear. You do not have the capacity to justify yourself with the statement, I was just following orders. Salus populi, salus populi suprema lex. Excuse me. Salus populi est suprema lex. Saving the people is the supreme law. In the church it might be a little bit different. I believe it's salus animae. 
Suprema Lex Est. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The salvation of souls is the, is the supreme law of the church. So I cannot butcher, as a soldier, as a warfighter, I cannot enter into a city <clears throat> beyond the borders, or within the borders of a nation that has declared itself my nation's enemy, and eradicate everyone there. Now this is, of, as a side note, things you may want to look into are things like fire tornadoes. And when we first discovered that little thing, and how we first discovered it with the firebombing of the city of Cologne in Germany. But that's another discussion. I'm not going to get sidetracked with that. It's something that we learned at Milai. It's something that we learned in Nuremberg. That there really actually is no way to justify yourself for the wholesale slaughter of people who are innocent. So as a warfighter, if my life is not being threatened if a person is not a member of my enemy's military, which is one of the things that made fighting in Afghanistan tremendously difficult because it didn't have uniforms. Well, some of them did. <clears throat> but I could not just, you know, oh, hey, we just, we just took an RPG in the side and I'm going to eradicate this whole town because they're hiding, the, because they're hiding these Taliban and Al-Qaeda buttheads. That was never, ever within my purview. 
Now, if I had positive identification on the guy who just launched the RPG, and he is firing from the minaret of a mosque, that minaret is coming down, and chances are that mosque is getting leveled. Sorry, guys. Don't shoot at me from your so-called church. It's not a war crime anymore. You committed the war crime by attacking me from your church. And I will not leave one stone on top another. Because I'm going to give you no place to hide. <clears throat> but I cannot act in a manner as a soldier that would disgrace my commander. And in the United States military, my commander was actually you. Because you, due to the bass awkwardness of the way our system is developed, choose the commander-in-chief. The guy You delegate for me during times of war who it is who issues out all of the commands that I am supposed to follow. So I will not do anything to disgrace him, and I will not do anything to disgrace you. Because I'm here for your defense. Now that was severely misused, like I said, when I was, when I was overseas, and those are topics that I will get into one day, but not today. As a Catholic, that means that I cannot do anything that would dishonor my Lord. Because to dishonor my Lord doesn't just dishonor my Lord, it dishonors his whole body. It makes him, if I choose to be a harlot and I claim to be part of my and I claim to be part of the body of Christ, then it turns the body of Christ into a harlot. And you should, at that moment, see where the issue comes into play. And the supreme law of the church, regardless of whatever canon law is out there, regardless of whether or not we ever actually figure out what it is that we're supposed to do with a heretic pope, the fact is, is that that pope, if he be a heretic, if he be a communist, if he be a socialist, a modernist, if he be a liberal, in the classical Jeffersonian sense of the word, if he be any of those, if he be a Freemason, The only instructions that he will ever give to me that I will obey are those that are perfectly in line with the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The ones that are perfectly in line with the church triumphant and the magisterium handed down by Christ to Peter, the apostles, and their successors. I will obey the traditions that were handed down in accordance with our Lord's command straight out of the gospel. Teach them what I have taught you. That was his instruction to the apostles. Teach them what I have taught you and baptize them. And go out into all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
He is the Holy Father. There's not another. Let me let me be more clear. There is no one else making the claim or having the claim made for them that they are the Pope. We have only Francis. Now, he's a communist, he's a socialist, he's a modernist. By those definitions, by those from those him him declaring on his own that he comes from those perspectives means he is not Catholic. Neither is Javier Millet. You cannot be communist and Catholic. You cannot be Freemason and Catholic. You cannot be libertarian and Catholic. You cannot be liberal and Catholic. Period. Full stop. They are mutually exclusive. And though they be mutually exclusive in a whole bunch of different directions that don't seem to have anything in common with each other, you are either in the center, at the true right, anchored to the cross at Calvary, or you're in Gehenna, or headed there. Anything that is not the cross, our Lord's cross atop Calvary, is Gehenna. So, in, so, on this round earth, by the way, I'm saying round earth, this globe that is the earth, this is my personal slight dig at, at, at uh, Mike over at Restoring the Faith and the Crusade Channel. I love him to death, but he's been doing the flat earth thing, and I'm unconvinced that he actually believes it. If you're not at the cross upon Calvary, if you're headed away from the cross in any direction, communist, liberal, modernist, socialist, Freemason, doesn't matter what direction you pick, you're not Catholic. A Catholic endures the sufferings that are given to him. It was weird because I was having a conversation with a friend. Now, I am, now that I've actually covered that whole spiel, we're going to go ahead and cover some other stuff. I was having a conversation with a friend. And we were talking about the, the, the generations and the things that have come that have gone wrong. And she was telling me that a person that she knows who's very close to her only believes in God when he's getting the things that he wants. Now that's not the that's not God. That is not God. As a Catholic, you can identify that. Well, if I only believe in God when I get what I want, then the God that I'm actually following is not God. That's the devil. That is the world, the flesh, or the devil. One of those three, but it is most certainly, without a doubt, not God. Because as a Catholic, we understand that we must embrace our suffering as an opportunity to become better. Why is that? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, first premise is wrong. Or second part of that, which is your principal premise there, that they're, that it's good people. No, you can be of goodwill. But unless you're Our Lady, 
conceived without original sin. The Immaculate Conception. Unless you're Our Lady, you're not good. Okay? Let's just be objective about that. There is not a single person on this earth who is not Our Lady who is called the Mirror of Justice. Who, when God looks at them, he sees himself. Our Lady is the only one. So the rest of us don't get to say that we're good. You can be of good will. You can be trying to get there. But you're not a good person. So when bad things happen to people, as Catholics, we understand that the suffering that, that happens to us, the suffering that we undergo, that, 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 that we must push through, is an opportunity for us to make ourselves holy. You know, the rock is perfectly content to being a rock, but if the rock could be placed behind the altar at the Sistine Chapel, or wherever, I'm not actually sure where uh, Michelangelo's Pieta is, but I'm reasonably certain that that piece of marble did not want to be chipped away and chiseled and cut. Did not want to be, didn't want to, I mean, I want you to imagine for yourself. Imagine that you're a piece of marble, okay? And everything's all happy, fine, well, and good. And, oh, hey, look at that. The master artist has chosen you. That's great, right? Oh, I'm so happy I get to be... The master artist has chosen me. I must be a really great piece of marble. Wait a minute, what are you doing with that chisel? Ow! Why did you just stab me? Ow! Why are you cutting me? Ow! What is it with that file? What are you doing? It's turning that piece of marble into a masterpiece. If you'll let him, if you'll choose to take the suffering and endure it for his sake, if you take every grinding, every grinding sensation, every laceration, every chip, every chunk, because eventually you're going to get to the last part when it's the nice soft polishing and you're nice and smooth. Of course, by then you're raw from all of the hard work that's gone into you. But if you embrace it, if you embrace it, at the end, you're the masterpiece that gets put for all to see. I chose the Pieta um, because while Michelangelo chose to be very human and get very jealous because his work, because the uh, La Pieta was originally. Um, the reason why he signed it was because somebody thought it was somebody else. Like somebody saw it and was like, oh my goodness, so-and-so, not Michelangelo, <laughs> must have done this. This is a magnificent piece. And he came back in and he's like, nah, dog, this is mine. And so he came back and he chiseled his name, his signature in the sash um, across the front up across the front of Our Lady. And so it actually, like when you look at it, it actually says Michelangelo Bonorati. <clears throat> and then as soon as he got done, he was horrified. He never signed another one of his pieces of art. Again, not ever. But I chose La Pieta because, I mean, there's not... I've seen a lot of really awesome 
marble carvings. The stuff in the 17th and 18th century where like they managed to make marble look like like a silken veil. I mean, it's magnificent. But it's not the even even the veiled Christ is less moving to me than La Pieta because La Pieta is Christ in the lap of Our Lady with all of the sorrow on her face and his limp dead body in her lap. I personally don't think that there's another statue that is more moving to me emotionally than that. And then Michelangelo had to ruin it by signing his name because he was jealous because it was his art. The difference is, is that if you allow God to use the hardships and the pain and the suffering and the trials and the tribulation, you allow him to form you into the masterpiece that he can make. It is not an act of superfluous ego when he signs his name on your soul. That's why I chose La Pieta, because even though Michelangelo had an act of pride and hubris, the fact is, is he did something that God will gladly do if you accept your suffering with grace, with gratitude, understanding that he is putting you through all of this to make you the best possible offering to himself. And anything that gets you away from that, anything that says that you don't have to cooperate with that, anything that says that there's no need for you to embrace so tightly the rough-hewn wood of that cross, you don't have to hold it so tightly that the wood splinters and stabs you. You don't have to hold it so tightly that you accidentally mark yourself with the nails around his feet. You don't have to, anything that says that you don't have to hold that cross as tight as you can for your salvation. Anything that says that is a lie. And those lies are only there for the damnation of your soul and the souls of those around you. And damnation is far worse than death. And if I, as a soldier, was prohibited from, from, the, from allowing to release an onslaught and eradicating an entire city, an entire nation, an entire country, an entire village, an entire family, or even just one innocent person, then the same is true when I'm given an instruction that endangers the salvation of one soul, the soul of a family, the soul of a city, the soul of a county or a state or a nation, or the souls of all those people of, around the world. And anything, anything that violates Lex Suprema of the Church, the salvation of souls, is not to be obeyed. We are not called to be stumbling blocks for anyone except inveterate sinners. We're not called to be stumbling blocks for anyone except the reprobate. Because the reprobate has no need for the salvation. 
The reprobate has no desire for salvation. The inveterate sinner has no, inclina has no inclination towards their own salvation, let alone the salvation of others. And so if I trip them up in the evil that they're trying to commit, it is of no consequence, and I am at no risk. I'm called to be a soldier of Christ. I'm called to fight for the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I am called to fight for the faith. With arms if need be, but with prayer first. So much so that I have no right to draw the sword with my right hand unless I have first counted off the beads with my left because there is no guarantee that I'll even be anchored enough to not <laughs> impute myself with guilt with every swing of that sword. So, Well, before, before I actually wrap that part up, I do want to take it one step further. In all of your dioceses, assuming the bishop has even appointed an exorcist, if that exorcist is active, and the demons are being thrust away by his actions... If that exorcist can and does deliver people through the power of Christ, that means that the authority structure is still in place. That means the structure is still in place. That means that even though the bishop be an apostate in public or private, and having spiritually lost his mandate, lost his, what, munis? The ministry stays intact. And Simon Peter, when you have when you have converted, confirm your brethren. It's to every priest. It's to every bishop. It's even to it's even to the Holy Father. Which means as long as that structure is still in place, as long as those mechanisms are still functioning. I hate to say it to my Sedificantus friends, but as long as that structure is still functioning, there is a Pope in Rome. There are bishops. Those bishops may be apostate, they may be heretic, they may, they may lose their munis. But they are still ministers of the Lord, despite the... Like, let me put it this way. If I, as a warrior, could strike down a bishop and incur no wrath of God for having lifted my arms against the anointed of the Lord, though he be like King Saul, that means the structure is still in place, and that bishop 
Though apostate in his heart and heretic in his actions, he is still the bishop until somebody does something about it. The Holy Father is still the Pope until somebody does something about it. There are mechanisms in place that the church is probably, I mean, let's be real. The Holy Father's not the only heretic and apostate, so there's a whole bunch of them. It's very unlikely that anybody's actually going to stand up sufficiently in order to depose him the way, that, the way he ought to be given his conduct. And because the mechanisms are actually somewhat in place, those mechanisms have to be executed. Until then, he is still God's anointed horrifying though that may be. But in the same way that Jonathan defied his father and protected King David, the soon-to-be King David from him, so must we defy the Holy Father and defend the faith, the one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. So whenever he says something that is Catholic, whenever he teaches something that is Catholic, you were going to do those things anyway. And when he doesn't, you don't. Because like Nuremberg, I was just following orders is not a defense. And in this day and age, yeah, that means you're going to have to learn more about your faith. That means you're going to have to dive in and understand what it means to truly be Catholic. It means that you're going to want one of the trusted books that actually teaches the faith, the Baltimore Catechism, the Catechism of St. Pius X, the Roman Catechism of Trent. By the way, I lean towards the... See, the other catechisms, I believe the Catechism of St. Pius X um, has a more formal declaration similar to the one of the Catechism of Trent. But the Roman Catechism to come that came out of the Council of Trent is the only catechism that I'm aware of that is infallible. It is the only one declared, to my knowledge, is infallible. Now, I have no doubt that the Catechism of St. Pius X is also on that level, but the Catechism of St. Pius X is kind of question-answer, you know, there's particular things that kind of dive in a little bit here and there. The Roman Catechism is a full-on explanation of what the Catholic Church teaches, believes, what you must believe to be saved. Period. Full stop. End of story. Now, the other ones may be easier to read, and that's cool. But I do at least know for a fact that the Roman Catechism, the one to come out of the Council of Trent, was declared to be infallible. And if it's infallible, what more do you need? Because all the other stuff is just smoke-filled coffeehouse crap. Well, what about this and what about that? It's clear, it's concise, it's unmistakable. You are going to want to talk to a priest as to how to understand it. Hopefully, they're the kind of priest that is all of, that stands the you know the Catechism of Trent. And if not, well, I mean, you know, as long as they're not a full-on heretic, they'll mostly get you there. 
You don't have... Okay. As a soldier, I was required to know specific things as to what the left and right limits of my authority in war are. And then beyond that, I'm issued my mission and I go execute. But if I'm ever given an order as a soldier, as a warfighter, as a killer... That includes me eradicating a population without regard to their military status. I am obligated and required, accountable even unto the death penalty, to refuse. And the same holds true for the faith. If you are given an instruction that is in direct contravention of Suprema Lex, you must say no. Because you will be held accountable even to the condemnation of your soul. This is different for priests and religious. The supreme law of the church still holds true, but there are many destructive and deleterious orders that a priest or a religious must still follow. And God has allowed those circumstances to come to pass for the salvation of their soul. And we must never forget those things. So, for example, Bishop Strickland has managed to step wrong of the Holy Father, and it sounds... Like the rumors are saying that he's about to be canned. While it will be unjust, and it will be improper, and, there, and many people will be rightly outraged, if that does come to pass, it will come to pass for the express salvation of the soul of Bishop Strickland. Nothing is to get in the way of the supreme law of the church. Not canon law, not anything. The supreme law of the church is the salvation of souls. And if God has decided that Joseph Strickland is going to be his, his bishop, his saintly bishop in this generation, then that's God's concern, and it is not ours. You pray for him, you pray that he has strength, you pray that he does the right thing. You pray that he doesn't do anything to endanger the salvation of his soul. You pray that he gets into heaven and that he does whatever it is he can to try and reach out and bring as many people with him. But if he is to be removed by Francis, it is God who makes that allowance. And it is for the salvation of Bishop Strickland. And make no mistake, I will be praying for the, for the good bishop. And I recommend that you do too. Our Lady has actually already requested it, and anything Our Lady says should be taken as a command. She has asked that we pray for priests. She has asked that we pray for the hierarchy. She has asked that we pray for the bishops, the cardinals, the popes. Throughout history, she has asked for us to pray for them. 
And when she asks, you really should take it as a command. Because she's not it's not even like she's asking for us to do something that's going to endanger our own soul. It can only add to the charity that we practice. So it can only add to our virtue. And when a heretic pope, a heretic bishop, a heretic cardinal, a heretic priest, a heretic layman, when they're out and about doing their thing, you pray for their salvation as well. You pray for their conversion as well. Because, Simon Peter, when you are converted, confirm thy brethren. It's a promise that Peter will be converted. And it's a command that when that happens, he is to confirm the brethren. To confirm the faithful. To hold on to the cross and preach Christ crucified. And that's it. The whole story. Everything that I'd intended to say. I hope that makes it clear where the lines of obedience are from an ex-soldier and a mechanic. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen.